Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will help build your professional development plan. Thanks for listening, and if you've been with us for a while, you know that we just passed the centennial episode, number 100, previously, and now we're excited to kick off the next 100. If you're a current nonprofit leader or hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are literally on the cutting edge of our sector. And I hope you will do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Dana Snyder, who works with nonprofits through her consulting practice. It's called Positive Equation. And she's the perfect person to talk about not just social media activity, but strategic social media and digital marketing strategies that really attract new donors and actually raise money. And it seems like every nonprofit these days are scrambling to keep up with the latest Facebook or Instagram or TikTok activity. And maybe this is something that you can relate to. You don't want to just react to the latest social media craze But how do you know as a nonprofit leader what is worth your and your team's time? Well, Dana breaks it down for us. We talk about some of the most common challenges nonprofit leaders face when they're developing a marketing and development plan, but how to best create a digital strategy and where exactly to invest what is likely a limited budget. Finally, we talk about how to best attract different generations of donors Because they're all on social media in different places, so how do you make sure you adapt accordingly? And how do you best hire a marketing professional when the time and the budget allows you to do so? Lots of practical advice here to unpack, so don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 101. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com. And you'll find out all of the resources Dana and I discussed, as well as more information on Dana and the great work she's doing at Positive Equation. And speaking of resources, Dana and I both have a great opportunity for you to consider. It's in the show notes, especially if you are interested in a mastermind cohort program. Now, Dana has a very cool program, and she calls it Missions to Movements. It's a mastermind designed for a two-person team that helps your nonprofit evaluate its digital media strategy. And so a senior leader and a digital strategist come together, and she's put together a fantastic program over the course of six months, and it begins this summer. Now, also starting this summer is my next cohort of the PMA Leadership Mastermind, And if you are interested, make sure you sign up for a possible free spot in the summer cohort, the third cohort of PMA's Mastermind Program. And we'll have another opportunity for a free spot for our fall cohort. Uh, Again, lots of good Mastermind activities. I know you've heard about it. I know you're thinking about it. So make sure you check out the one Dana is doing and the one that PMA will continue to host if it is a good fit for you. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dana Snyder. Dana, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you for having me. 
I'm excited for this conversation, Dana, because I know there are a lot of listeners out there in the nonprofit leadership community that don't know exactly what to do with social media. You know, they're having it's a people... tricky topic. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and well, and, and sometimes they confuse activity, you know, busyness maybe with effectiveness. And I know you can help illustrate what does and doesn't work. So thank you for that. We're going to dive in because every nonprofit wants to get its message out. Social media is a platform they should use, but I wager most don't know exactly how to do it. So thank you for helping us with that. Before, however, we dive into all of the great stuff you can share, tell us how you got into nonprofit and the work you're doing now through Positive Equation. Yeah, so it's actually a really fun story. Are you familiar with dance marathons? Yes, indeed, to to some extent. (laughs) I have not done one, but yes, (laughs) they are familiar. Okay, so Children's Miracle Network Hospitals has been doing dance marathons at colleges all across the country since 1991, I believe. And so I attended the University of Central Florida. Go Knights for anybody who's listening. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have a dance marathon program there that benefits our local Children's Miracle Network Hospital, which is Arnold Palmer. And actually at the time when I was in school, we were helping to provide funds for Arnold Palmer and Shans in Gainesville. Fantastic, yep. And so I joined the executive committee as a freshman. So I really say I did mission trips growing up in church all the time, but I say I really understood more about philanthropy starting when I was 18. And so being on the board, we were raising, it's a student run organization only. Um, You do have support from a few quote unquote adults, right? Although you say you're an adult when you're 18, but (laughs) real Real adults, right? Um, Real adults. Yeah. Some leadership. But other than that, like we were doing everything. We were getting sponsorships. We were getting donations. We were setting up the um, activities. And essentially what a dance marathon is, for those of you who aren't familiar, is it's a year-round fundraiser, but it all comes together for one day or some universities do like 24 hours or 48 hours of dancing and programming in support of the funds you've raised all year. And there's a, that day is also a big fundraising day. So for nights on at UCF, when I first started, we were raising maybe $25,000. And then I think when I left, we got up to around 83,000. And then now Nightthon has been raising more than a million dollars a year through the program. Wow. So that was my first real introduction to philanthropy. And then as soon as I graduated college, I wanted to work for a nonprofit. Um, I was either nonprofit or I was sports, but if I wanted to work in sports, I wanted to be in the CSR department. Um, And so I ended up working for a nonprofit straight out of college back home in Sarasota, Florida. And I totally understand what it is to wear multiple hats. There was only four of us. So a team of four. And so my title was director of development and marketing. (laughs) So I literally did it all. (laughs) So writing the press releases, working on social, which was so different back then. I mean, this was 11 years ago. Um, So everything's evolved a lot, but that was really how I kind of got started. And then I ended up moving to New York city and to make a long story short, I worked in the for-profit space for about five years. And then I was just naturally felt called back to giving back 
right. and working for organizations that were purpose-driven and had, that were trying to change the world and really tell positive stories. And so that led into, okay, I think I have enough experience and relationships really behind my back now being about eight years into my career that I could do this on my own. And so that was it. I remember walking into my boss's office at the time and telling her I'm, I'm quitting. And she's like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm starting my own business. And she's like, really? <laughs> and I explained what I was doing. And she, I remember the other question was, do you have any clients? And I said, nope. <laughs> hey, good um, for you. It was exciting. And then now it's four years later. And um, I'm so grateful uh, that I took that leap. Yeah, love it. And Dana, I love your story in terms of growing up in the nonprofit space as a fellow, um, a journey that mine started volunteering for the Special Olympics organization. And yeah. you just never know what those kind of opportunities might lead to. You've obviously combined both for-profit and nonprofit experience, which makes your work so valuable, of course, with the nonprofits that you continue to support. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I guess, as you may know, I ask all my guests, particularly in this kind of strange virtual world in which we live, hopefully coming out of it soon. But I, th right. I think it has amplified the need for productivity particularly in a virtual space. I wonder, have you found anything in particular helpful to you or the organizations you work with in terms of you know productivity? Yeah, I think something big is productivity, yes, but also just staying focused. Right. So I've, I've worked from home really ever since I started my company. So that wasn't essentially new to me. Um, but I think there's just a lot more noise that we've been having to deal with. Right. And so staying focused has been something big. Um, I am obviously a digital person, so I have all of my meetings in G Google, right? The Google world, right, right. but I started actually going back to having a physical planner where I will look at on either Sunday evenings or usually Monday mornings, I will look at my online calendar and I will take it all and I will write it physically into a planner. Because I think that also just anytime you write something down, it gets more embedded into your brain right. and then it lets me see my week. Right. And it lets me outline my goals and what my priorities are. And if I really need to move some things around or it's just helped me to visualize things better and to take that time. So I'd say that's one is actually utilizing, um, a, a physical planner. Yep. Um, secondly, I'm utilizing Slack with my internal team just to reduce emails. Um, cause we get inundated with emails so often. And so Slack has been really great. And then I personally, at the beginning of this year, I joined a mastermind myself for Excellent. female entrepreneurs. And it was a big, it's a 12 month commitment. So it was a big financial and time commitment, but it has been so worth it. It has blown my mind and we have calls every week. So it keeps me really focused and accountable, which I love as somebody who works more soul in a sole entrepreneur basis. Right, right. Um, I have a couple of team members, but still it's basically me in the leadership role. I, I, well, several things. One, delighted that you lift up what I would call a weekly ritual, you know, your, your calendaring and the other associated goal setting that that uh, achieves, I think is a fantastic concept. And of course, mastermind for those that don't know, it's, I guess it, it, it allows you to have accountability and coaching to some extent or peer based yes. coaching. Is that yes. what you would say? Cause you and I both are hosting mastermind groups, but yeah, is that something else that you gain from being in a mastermind? Yeah, it's great. I mean, when, 
we're coached every week um, and, and how this one runs. And we have two in-person retreats. We have one actually coming up in a month or so. And it's great because what I really love about masterminds, and we've talked about this a little bit, is yes, you are coached by someone who they're looking at your business from such a different lens that's refreshing. And they're able to pick things apart where you're so in the weeds all the time that you're like, oh, you're right. I never even saw that. Yep. Or I didn't see that opportunity. And then the other side of it that's great is it's a very intimate group of 12 of us that are all kind of in the same journey, doing different, very different things, but have similar challenges. So the community, we've all individually, just the group of us in this group coaching mastermind have helped each other out doing one-on-one -on -one calls outside of our group sessions. Right. Because somebody might say something and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's like she's reading my mind with that question. I'd love to understand what is she dealing with and how can we help each other? So it's been really nice to have a like-minded community of entrepreneurs to be able to discuss business challenges or even successes with um, and accountability partner too. Yeah, such a good illustration. And I think many of our nonprofit leader friends, Dana, are in a lonely world and isolated and head down having so much to do. And they would benefit from some sort of association like that, wouldn't they, of different perspectives, outside perspectives. So I know that's yeah, something absolutely. we'll talk about. Um, but before we do that, let's get into what is the kind of core talent you bring to nonprofit leaders that you work with. And is social media. And, you know, I wonder, and you you will better describe than I, what are the challenges you see when you first run into a nonprofit leader? I wonder if it's a spectrum. They either think they're doing well because they're yeah. busy, right? Or they just are intimidated by the process. But what do you see are the primary challenges for nonprofit leaders around social media? I had the first one, you literally just nailed it on the head. And I am also, I do this too, because you think you're busy, Right. It means that you're doing something, but then it's not yielding results. So you're wondering like, I'm doing so much. Why isn't it working? And one of the big things is with social media, the thought of just posting content, thinking that will result in success is not true. Good you have to, I always say you have to understand your data. You have to look at the analytics. You have to understand that social media is about community. You have to really from the leadership standpoint, understand what are your business goals as an organization. And I did this for myself in January. Right. I said, what am I looking to achieve this month, this quarter? And that's about as far as I go, to be honest, just because things in the world are changing. So often I don't look at six months or a year. I look at monthly and quarterly. And I say, okay, based upon what I want to achieve, whether that be, let's say for instance, a nonprofit's goal is that they want to increase their donations, right? That's a common one. Sure, right. So on the social media side, we might be saying, okay, A, we want to increase our brand awareness to get more donors, which would be increasing impressions. Like that's your metric. Right. And the donations are happening on our website. So we want to increase our link clicks on our social posts. So if those two metrics aren't changing over a couple of weeks or a month, then you have to think about, hmm, like what, what might be wrong with our content? Yep. So it gives you something to kind of grasp and hold on to, to be able to see if social media is working. Um, so that's one is really knowing kind of data and your goals. Two, I would say 
a challenge that nonprofits often have is hiring a junior staff member and assuming they know social media. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> and that's not true. I've hired interns or I've hired junior staff um, right from college, but they don't understand the business side of social media. And therefore that's a big disconnect. So you can bring them on, but know that you need to help provide them with the tools that they need to succeed. And they might not know to ask for those things. So just say, so, cause they live on their phone, Dana, and, and are prolific in their postings does not necessarily mean they understand the strategy that you're trying to convey. Right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So that's one. And then this kind of goes in with the junior staff is there's often an education gap between senior leadership and a social media manager. I actually just spoke with a CEO of a nonprofit last week about this, where he said, I think I know enough, but I don't really know the exact questions to ask to know if we're going in the right direction. Interesting. And so that gap needs to be eliminated, right? To be right. able to have strong movement forward. So leadership knows, oh, my investment is working in this person. Um, so to be able to kind of like minimize that gap between the two. And then I would say finally is social media and digital overall needs its own budget. So what I mean by that is outside of just the person that yeah. you hire, are you giving them an ads budget? Are you giving them a budget for tools like a social media management platform? Um, if you're going to work with influencers, are you going to have a budget for an influencer campaign? Do you need a graphic designer? Is that not the strong suit of a social person? It's often rare to find a great social person that can write really well and design really well. That's a good point. So it's you have to really understand, is this person really great at strategy awesome. Then you need to make sure that if they're saying, Hey, I'm not really a great graphic designer. I'm going to fall short there that you know, that there's a budget need there. So having that conversation about what's realistic is really important from the get go. Such a good point. And, and I guess you would agree that I'm going to get what I pay for or not pay for. If I'm relying on the free nature of the social media platforms, I risk right. just being kind of a mess or, and I think you use the term, you know, that I might be satisfied with kind of the vanity metrics, right? Well, we got a lot of Facebook followers, right, Dana? So we must be doing fine. But to your earlier point, that doesn't mean it's necessarily driving goals. Correct. Exactly. I mean, you. I always, when people say they just want followers, right. um, I always say, A, I don't have a lot of followers, but I have a great amount of attention and engagement on my content that's driving results. So I think about it in the sense of if you had an in-person event and you have a thousand Instagram or Facebook followers or Twitter, then that's a pretty solid group of people right? in person, right? Are you maximizing that community? Are you engaging and providing value to the thousand people you have, because if you are, then you will organically see growth. I changed my entire, and I'm like living, breathing proof of this. Right. Um, I looked at the beginning of the year of what was working and then B, and this is a big one. What are the platforms focusing on? Because if Instagram, for example, they just launched recently reels yep. and they just launched the ability 
for Instagram live to go live with four people. So, you know, they're spending money on marketing press and their internal team on those new things. So, you know, you want to be focusing on those. So as soon as I started implementing and paying attention to what the platforms were releasing and utilizing those features immediately, I saw an uptick. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that's paying attention to the news, right? And then that's, exactly. that's, you need a person dedicated towards realizing, oh, Facebook has a new feature. Maybe we should test this because they want people using it. Well, and to your point, it, it, uh, I think, as you know, a lot of nonprofit leaders are going to be like, well, Dana, you know, we have a limited budget. Uh, should I really be spending money on ads and, and other kind of paid forms of my social media? Um, I guess you would suggest, though, that is worth it and, and relatively inexpensive. I mean, I guess to give our oh, listeners yeah. an idea that you're not talking thousands and thousands of dollars necessarily to make an impact within, I guess, some paid social media. Yeah. I mean, I guess my question back would be, are your current marketing strategies getting you to where you need to go right? or where you see yourself needing to be in two, five, 10 years from now? Um, because, and I've worked with nonprofits like Movember where just on Facebook alone, we're raising hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, just from Facebook fundraisers, from people doing it on your behalf but that's once you have the foundation set up on it. So um, social media can be your own, a brand new source of donation drivers for you if you have things set up properly. But yeah, to your point, you can start small, be strategic about it, and then you'll see the growth and keep investing. On the ad side, you can literally run an ad for a dollar a day. <laughs> see, that's, that's such a good, I'm glad you illustrate that because I think a lot of the nonprofit leaders that are listening uh, perhaps old school is the term we would use. I'm including myself that we, we spend money on direct mail and other right. kind of traditional advertising methods and maybe don't think twice. And right. so I guess you're inviting us to add this maybe to our overall marketing budget. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I would say you have to test it. Social media is a constant testing playground, I call it, where new features are coming up all the time. It's like a new swing set. Okay, let's go over there and try it out. Did it work? No. Okay, we're going to we're gonna stick over here to the slide, right? <laughs> exactly. It's, there's constant new things coming up. Another example just for cost is if you're looking to raise awareness about your organization, video content is incredible. You can get per view on Facebook, you can, for a penny to three cents will be one view. So for roughly 10,000 video views, that can cost you maybe a hundred dollars. Wow. And that's the magic. And then with those 10,000 people, you can retarget them to then view more of your content and then retarget them again to become donors. There's like a funnel system. So yes, to your point, obviously a mailer I don't even know what the cost of mailers are for a hundred dollars, but I would imagine you don't get very much because what no. the cost of a stamp even now is 50 <laughs> exactly. plus cents, right? <laughs> yeah. Your postage budget is already blown. Right. 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 Well, and I'm glad you say that. And I wonder, as you work with nonprofits, do you, do you try to integrate their kind of traditional or historical marketing efforts or as you help them develop a digital strategy, is it a standalone or how do you integrate what they're already doing with what, you're encouraging them to do? So a lot of the time I focus more on just the digital social side. Um, 
we will talk about, it's based upon always your audience and who are your donors and who do you want them to be? Who are you looking to attract? Um, so we'll discuss everything from like a 360 marketing view, but most of the time my focus is in helping them understand their data and what their business goals are to align them with the proper digital strategies to execute is, is usually where I sit. Yeah. I love that. And cause I find, and I'm sure you do too. A lot of times I think we jump as nonprofit leaders to the tactics. Well, we heard yes. that there's some new shiny kind of tactic to try. We jump on it and you're asking the question first and foremost, all right, but what are we trying to do? Right. Who are we trying to get to? What is the goal? Um, but let's use that, Dana, as an example. So I'm old school. Uh, I know I need a digital strategy, but I don't have one as at my nonprofit. How do I even get started in that kind of process? Yeah, um, so many things. I mean, A, which I've said a couple of times now, but is data. Right. So really understand, and I'm talking about not just social media data, but Google Analytics, right? You want to understand how are people getting to your website? Because that's usually your home base. That's usually the foundation of where volunteers are signing up. That's where your donations are happening. If you're um, trying to get signups for a virtual event, that's normally on a website. So you want to understand and through your website on Google Analytics data, it shows you social media acquisition. What channels are people using to get to your website? Yeah. What pages are the most popular, right? So it's looking at your data there. It's understanding your data on your individual social channels. What I say sometimes is you don't have to be everywhere. I mean, you really shouldn't be on every yeah. social media platform. Spread too thin, maybe. Yeah, yeah, pick and choose which ones you should be on based on where are you successful? Where are your donors? Where are your supporters? And just be really solid on those platforms. And kind of like something I've heard a long time ago from a Marie Forleo is simplify to amplify. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Just really simplify your strategy to focus on the channels that work. Um, also is you have to be educated, right? You have to understand what the platforms are used for. So how, and the easiest way to think about it is to pause for a second. And most of the time we're on these channels, <laughs> right? As right. personal Personally, users. Yeah. Right. Right. So we want to think about, okay, how do I use Instagram versus YouTube? Right. In that simple instance, YouTube, I'm normally searching for something, right? I go there looking for instructions on how to do something versus Instagram. I might just be a scrolling method, right? Yes. versus a Pinterest, I'm looking for creative ideas. And then I might make a purchase based upon what I find. For example, I just bought a new home. So I'm looking for outdoor furniture. So immediately I go to Pinterest for inspiration. So you use each platform very differently. So you want to think about that in terms of how are your supporters utilizing these platforms for what kind of content should be there. Um, and then really lastly, it's just always back to if you're looking to just get started, what do you want to happen, right? What, what does success look, for, look like for you in those goals? And then because you're educated and because you have your data, then you can south, start to outline those strategies on the digital side of Back how to, to accomplish point. those goals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like to your earlier point, if it is specific fundraising or maybe even more specific than that would be fundraising for an event coming up or something more targeted, because I, I would assume 
if I'm vague, uh, you know, fundraising broadly could get me spread pretty thin or awareness building could get me spread pretty thin. But if, if I wanted people to be more aware of a certain program I offer in my community, would that be an example of kind of specificity around a goal around uh, as far as awareness, maybe? Yeah. I mean, or how, um, a good example, how detailed do so, we need to go, you know? Yeah. Like virtual events are really big right now. Right. And I think mm -hmm. we're going to start to see them shift into a little bit of a hybrid approach, but let's just, for example, call it, you have a virtual event coming up and you're looking to raise awareness and to sell tickets. Yep. So yep. you would say, great. Our, we want to raise awareness of the event and we want to sell tickets. Maybe we also want corporate sponsors. So you would utilize on Facebook, Live videos are amazing. That's how you receive the best engagement because it actually sends a push notification on someone's phone to watch that video in real time. Wow. So yep. to talk about your event, you might go live on Facebook with your board of director or the chair of the event, plus your CEO, whoever talking about the event, how excited you are. This is what it's going to be in our program. This is how you can register and you kind of show them the website maybe versus on Instagram, maybe you're using stories to do a poll about, we want to have a performance. Should we have a musician? Should we have a magician? Should we have a virtual cocktail hour? And you're asking for people's engagement. Yeah. There. Nice. Right. Right. So you're utilizing different tools, um, the different platforms to get a different result um, with Facebook is a great place to also sell tickets because it's great for push through traffic with websites. Yep. Instagram is when you're in the platform. Yes, there is the link in the bio, but the beautiful nature about Instagram is what happens in the comment section. So you might have a save the date. And for Instagram, you might be saying tag a friend or family member or tag five people that should attend this event with you. And that's generating buzz. So you use each of them differently to all strive towards the same goal. Does that make sense? Totally. And love okay. the, the the specificity because, again, I just think too many of us and nonprofit leaders, we stop with these broad kind of level goals. It's social media as a whole, and you just define very carefully the Facebook application versus Instagram for the same event. Yeah, I'm a visual learner, so I try to make <laughs> <You help laughs> things me. as clear as if you could like picture them happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and well, and, and I want to go back, Dana, to your good point about collecting data, and it made me think about understanding our audience. And have you found ways to do that? In other words, every time a volunteer signs up for my organization, should I try to get an, a sense of what social media platforms they most utilize, and then does that help me decide that I don't need to do all five platforms? Maybe I'll focus on two. Yes, that is such a good point. I'm glad you brought this up. So I had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago where we were talking through the email subscription signup process, right? On right, a website right. or when you become a donor and what forms are you asking people to fill out? And um, we don't really ask good questions. Exactly. When it's a wasted opportunity. That form. It's a wasted right. opportunity, totally. And you could easily put in, what's your Instagram handle or what's your favorite social media platform. Yep. Um, and then if they give you that, then you could follow them on Instagram. And so you're building your community and then they know what you're doing 
because they see that you follow them. So you can have that one-to-one connection, which is what, honestly, that's what social media is all about. If you remember, I don't know, did you watch the Mark Zuckerberg movie, The Social Network, when (laughs) it came out? (laughs) Yes. Got got a lot of attention in my household. Yes. Yes. So it's all, it all started with being a network, right? It's a community of one-to-one communication. And I think we forget this a lot of time that, right. I just pulled up my phone. I am seeing my individual screen. I am seeing your post one at a time. Yep. Although we are sending it out to the masses, you're consuming it as an individual. So you have to think about like, I remember I was shocked one time. There's a, um, uh, like a social media um, expert that I follow as well named Jasmine Starr. Yep. And she has like three or 400,000 Instagram followers. And I, I sent her a direct message one time on Instagram, a DM. And I got a reply, a voice wow. reply. From Not her. just a reply with text, but it was, she hit the audio, it was her voice. And she said, hey, Dana, thanks so much for da-da-da-da. And it took her. I mean, what, five, seven seconds to do that? Yeah, but nice but to me, touch. Yep. Such a nice touch. So I do that now. I try and do it pretty consistently with people on there. I'll you have to actively go in yep. to your followers' accounts and send them a quick message or send them a response to their story. You have to put in that time, the community management time to see your engagement really grow. And that's what the platform's looking for. Yeah, but Dana, that's so good because again, the old school nature in me was like, all right, well, that person might get a thank you letter from my nonprofit two (laughs) weeks from now. Right. But how impactful would it be if they got an audio or even video message of thanks relatively quickly that I think that would be transformational from a donor perspective? Right. Isn't that amazing? And then you feel seen. Exactly. And appreciated immediately. Yeah. Well, something, Dana, you have used your expertise not only to help nonprofits with their nonprofit, I mean, sorry, with their social media strategy or digital strategy. You've also, I think, kind of dived into the different elements of generational giving. I wonder if you could speak to that. What, again, one size doesn't fit all. And I think that's something you were clear on early on. And I wonder if you could get into that and how you've applied it. Of course. So the two generations that I really speak to the most are millennials and Gen Z. Right. So I'm 32. So I am a millennial and then Gen Z is younger. Um, a lot of them are still under the age of 18. Um, but so first I'll talk about the millennials a little bit. Um, it's really interesting. So during the pandemic, there was a stat that came out on CNBC that three out of four millennials have donated money during the pandemic. Wow. So we are a very giving and we are invested in the people at the nonprofit, which is interesting too. So the cause, yes, but also the individuals working there. Um, and something else that's happening within the millennial generation is there is this big transfer of wealth that is going to be happening. Right. So currently we account for about $200 billion in direct purchasing power, but we are going to be receiving as our parents' generation and grandparents' generation are passing on $41 trillion of wealth. I've heard amazing numbers. Right. Right. So we are going to be coming into a lot of money and it's how do we want to give? And are you set up as a nonprofit to receive our funds in the way that we will give? And so the main ways of doing that are A, 
websites. I always say, especially now with what's happened in the past year, your website and your social media platforms are your storefronts. Yep. Right? It is exactly the first time we hear of something, where do we go to research it? Either social media or your website. Absolutely. If they're not mobile first or mobile friendly or responsive, because most of us are reaching for our phones to do that and not our laptops. Right. If I can't easily go through your website on mobile, I'm out, right? Within a short time frame. Also, a big change that we've been seeing is the older generations gave a lot of large one-time gifts or endowments right. versus we're giving monthly. We're open to giving you monthly smaller gifts but consistently over a long span of time. And as we receive more funds, the goal would be for that gift to increase, right? But what we're then saying is if we're giving you a monthly gift, we are invested in you for the long haul, but we want to receive updates. We want to know what's happening. We want to know where our funds are going, right? Um, then the last part of how we invest, and you see this with a lot of the newer age nonprofits coming up, is peer-to-peer. -peer. Right. We love, yes, we want to give back, but we love supporting our friends and our family. So if I see a friend who has a Facebook birthday fundraiser, I'll say, of course, I'll, I'll help Sarah out because I trust her and I love her and I want to help her in her goal. Right. right. So it's not as much about the cause, but it's about helping our friend and doing good at the same time. So I'd say if you don't have a plan for really maximizing and growing your A, elevating your website, making sure it's mobile first, creating a monthly giving program that communicates, it's not just set up to take the money, but communicates back to us the impact Indeed. and having some sort of peer to peer open um, that's where I think millennials and generation Z actually are sitting, um, with generation Z, what we're seeing with them is they are extremely proactive, um, as activists and researching the issues. I think we've seen this happen a lot with brands recently. Yeah. Good point. When, when everything happened with, um, the black lives matter, even though all of these brands were saying, we're with you. We stand with you. Gen Z, especially, was going after, okay, well, what does our board of directors look like? Yeah, exactly. They were doing the research. Yes, indeed. Right? So even Nike, and they've gotten better about this, but Nike, just a few years ago, they were all for moms, they said. But then once athletes um, did not, once athletes got pregnant, they were canceling their contracts. Yeah, that doesn't sound mom-friendly. That's not very mom-friendly, is it? Right. So then they changed it. But this was called out by the public. Yes. So, and then it changed their laws and it changed their policies to now be much more conscious. But this is the same thing with, A, pay attention to who your corporate sponsors are. Yeah, good <laughs> Even point. though they might be big names, these generations are doing their research but they are extensively involved in fundraising and volunteering and donating. Um, and I think it's just really important to make sure that you're putting out the right authentic information on your social media channels. I think thought leadership is going to be really key. Your leaders in your organization 
we are looking same thing in brands, right? right we love right. certain brands because of the leaders in nonprofits. Same thing. If we can identify with the humans, the people that are passionate and running the organization, we feel even more connected to the cause and the work that you're doing. So that's kind of how I see giving starting to evolve with at least millennials and Gen Z. And it'll be really interesting to see as Gen Z even grows up, what changes continue to happen. Yeah, Dana, that's a, a treasure trove of ideas. I'm thinking as a nonprofit leader, one is my website mobile friendly. I'm going back through your checklist here, which I think literally we should do. Uh, is it clear? Frankly, is it easy to make a gift? I'm, yes. I, I'm often surprised. And I grew up kind of in the fundraising space that a lot of organizations, I don't think make it easy. And so to your point, get rid of that long form, go check exactly. your website right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is it easy to give? And I love your emphasis on monthly or recurring giving. So again, listeners, if I go to your website, whoever you are, is yep. it evident how I can make a recurring gift? Is it evident the impact of my gift? Again, good reminder there, Dana. And I'm, I'm intrigued by and, and wonder the challenge who nonprofit leaders, as you know, are so generous and modest, but becoming a thought leader. And, mm -hmm. and so your point is, yeah. okay, I know you're modest and I know you're not in it for the kind of the fame, but you're telling nonprofit leaders listening that they do need to kind of tell their story. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. And connect with other thought leaders in your space. Right. Because then you're able to help your entire cause. I mean, think about how many water charities there are, right. or homeless charities there are. If you can connect to other thought leaders and partner together, and social media is beautiful to do that, to create that community and uplift each other. Imagine, I mean, we have these UN sustainable goals, how much faster we could achieve them if we partnered together with one another. And once you become a thought leader, and you're a little bit more recognized in the space, you're naturally just going to be sought out for those things. That's a great point. And, and I'm glad you kind of clarified that. So thought leadership is not bragging necessarily about my personal achievements, but showing that I am part of a larger kind of community effort on the yeah, calls that I'm expert, serving. You're an expert in understanding what's happening within your field. Right. And so if you can present that um, thought leadership right? In different right. topics that you're doing, then others are going to say, oh, I want to work with them because they know what's going on at the root of the problem. But maybe we know this area, but we don't know their area. So how can we work together, right? That's a good message. And then all of our followers, listeners, web visitors, constituents of any kind, I think will appreciate even more what we're doing. And I, I totally agree with you on that point. Um, all right, Danny, you've convinced me. I'm listening. <laughs> I thought I thought I was fine just letting the intern do social media for me. Uh, you've convinced me that that is not a wise approach. So maybe I want to hire somebody part time, perhaps as a star. But talk about that. Uh, I'm a nonprofit leader. I believe you that I've got to do better and invest in digital strategy. What are some uh, suggestions you would make for me in that sense? That's a great question. I'm so proud of you for wanting to hire. <laughs> I knew you'd like that answer, but yes, please. Great, great step. So I have, I wrote a blog post on this. That is literally your five-step checklist. It's on my website on positiveequation.com. You just go to the blog site, totally free. Um, this checklist, because I think oftentimes when we get into hiring, 
um, we don't really know what we're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And if that person is actually qualified, I think there's a lot of things you can write on a piece of paper that look stellar, <laughs> right, but right. when you actually get into the nuts and the bolts, are they going to be the right fit for our organization? So, um, really quickly, kind of just going through the checklist. Number one is prior social media experience. A, do they have it, but B, make them do an activity for you. Have them research your website, look at your existing social content and have them draft two sample posts for you. Nice. Yep. Don't specify, or maybe you want to specify the channel so you can see something different. Maybe say one for Facebook, one for Instagram. What would you do? Right. And you want to pay attention to A, how is their graphic design skills, right? If that's not a big perk of what they do, right? They're not great at it. Then, you know, but B, how is their writing skills? Can they write in your brand voice and are they a good storyteller or does that need some help? Like, how are they able to structure that? So that's step number one. Number two is back to what I've been kind of saying throughout our conversation is business and digital goals. So ask them to draft two to three digital ideas that directly correlate to help solve your business goals. So you as the interviewer might say, Hey, these are two of our business goals. How would you create a digital strategy to meet those? So they would answer that. Yep. Yep. Um, number three is tools and budget. Ask them to write you a list of the social media's tools and resources they would like to have and a sample budget that lets you know inside their head, how are they thinking about basically moving forward your cause? Do they know enough about the tools and the resources out there and what a realistic budget looks like or not, right? right? Um, Number four, which is a fun one, and this allows you just to kind of see their creativity is fundraising. Obviously, that is going to be part of anybody's role who's involved in a nonprofit. And I like to give somebody a test challenge. um, And I just say, let's call it of raising $10,000. Yep. So, okay, we want you to raise $10,000. There is no restraints on budget, on who you could work with. How would they do it? What platforms would you activate on? Would there be a paid element? Is there live content? Is there influencers? See what they come back with. Yeah, good. And then number five is last and often I think the most important, and that's drive and empathy. So are they on fire for your organization, right? Are they eager to learn and are they curious and asking a lot of questions? Because I remember, oh man, when I first started my first couple of jobs, there was a lot of things you just don't, you don't know because you haven't been in the business world. But if you are ready to like soak it in like a sponge and you have a really positive attitude then you can learn. You can be taught lots of things, but you can't be taught drive and empathy just for a cause. That has to kind of be in your heart. So that would be number five. And I think after you kind of go through that checklist, you have a pretty good sense of if that person's a good fit for you or not. No, it's fantastic. And I'm thinking, Dan, as you go through that, a lot of those tactics will be good in hiring any employee for our nonprofit, right? You give them practical tests of their knowledge, of how they would apply their knowledge. And I, of course, love the way you finish it. They, they have to have drive for the organization and illustrate that drive, that they're not just kind of a serial applicant for every job that's in the market. Right. They genuinely right. want to work for the cause you represent. Absolutely. Uh, 
Great stuff. We'll certainly link it in the show notes, um, as you have indicated, because you've got some great resources on your site and um, lots of ideas here. Dana, is there anything else as you think about someone who's pondering nonprofit leadership? As you know, our listeners generally are in leadership or want to be. What else would you advise them as they ponder that exact question? I mean, I think it's a pretty, if you're teetering on the point of not knowing if you should be investing in a digital or social media resource or resources and a person, right? Is if you're looking for growth and brand awareness, donations, and especially advocacy, you really need to invest in a digital and social media team when those budget meetings come up. And I was a grant in my first job. Interesting. I was literally, my entire salary was a grant, but my boss, the executive director went out for the purpose of understanding that they needed to have somebody working on marketing and social media in the way that I was. Right. And so she went out searching for that. So she went searching for a grant to do that. Another way you could do it is through corporate sponsorships. Corporate sponsorships are there to help you also with operational costs. And they get it because they're a business, right? I always say the only difference between a nonprofit and a business is the tax code. If you look at Charity Water, Movember, um, News Story, there's, I mean, there's so many to list. They are brands. They're brands that we recognize in our households that we think about because they've done such a beautiful job working on them and really figuring out what their brand voice is. Like when I worked with Movember in 2019 on their North America digital campaign, they have a brand Bible that's like 40 pages of how they talk about certain things, what language they use, what words they use. They call their supporters Mo bros and Mo sisters, not (laughs) sisters. That's right. a, you know that's a difference. That's intentional right? though. It's intentional. It's intentional. Right? Yeah. They spell mustache with the M O U instead of M U. You know what I mean? There's small differences, but that's what makes their brand their brand. Um. So, I think it's really really diving into your your digital and social presence. Really understanding that the future generations are going to demand it from you, whether you're ready or not. And I think. This past year was a really great push, a necessary push for a lot of organizations that this is going to be mandatory for us to be able to grow and see further success. Yep. Dana, that's fantastic. And again, I applaud your your former boss about what amounts to, I think, capacity building activity, right? It wasn't just she was seeking grants to, to do something that is beneficial, of course, but I think all nonprofits need to think about what you're describing as capacity building, awareness mm-hmm. building. These are genuine strategic opportunities. And again, all the examples you gave, those are outstanding businesses, right? They're not just outstanding nonprofits, they're outstanding right. in every aspect. And I think we as right. nonprofit leaders need to embrace exactly that. Uh, Dana, wonderful We will put all of this together in our show notes. But of course, I have one more parting gift to ask of you. Um, How about a book that has been meaningful to you? A book or two, uh, maybe, um, that you might recommend to our listeners? 
Yeah. So I got you on this one because I was just packing up all my books. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing for that, right? So they're top, they're all top of mind. Um, and my first one, uh, it's a bright orange cover, so you can't miss it if you're searching on Amazon. It's called Good is the New Cool okay. by Afdel Aziz and Bobby Jones. That book made me start my company. Wow. That good. I was teetering. I wasn't sure. I was flip-flopping back and forth. I was nervous, obviously, leaving the full-time job world to start my own business. And right. after I read their book, my soul was like on fire. It's amazing. They, That's a strong recommendation, Dana. I guess we got to add that to our list for sure. It's a really good one. Good is the new cool. And they break down how businesses, nonprofits, and influencers work together in this kind of ecosystem. And they give specific brand examples. It's brilliant. Excellent. Um, the other one that I really love is Obsessed by Amy Hayward. Um, she's the co-founder and chief branding officer of Red Antler, and they're a branding and marketing company for startups um, and new ventures. And so you might recognize a few of these. She helped launch Casper, wow. Allbirds, Sweet Green, and Everlane. And if you think about what all of those companies have in common, is they had extremely passionate, devoted followings and fans from the very beginning, which essentially is why her book's called Obsessed. Like, how yep. did we become obsessed with these organizations? And really, if you think about it, all of them have a social good element. And that's what's happening with brands. So how can we smartly as nonprofits say, hey, I fit really well into your mission. Let me be your social good element and let's partner up, right? Yep. Excellent. And such good takeaways for nonprofits, right? Who who want to create obsessive fans in a sense, who believe so much in their cause that they become ambassadors, brand Absolutely. ambassadors, right? For Absolutely. the cause that's important to them. That's what, and I'll kind of like leave you on this too. So I'll go back to Movember for a second. But the reason Movember has become so successful is because of the community. Yes. Right. Yes. yes, they put out the content every November, aka November, right. <laughs> that the campaign is happening. But a lot of our data and research was on engaging with and looking at the consumer-generated content. They're already doing it. We just have to engage back with them, right? They're doing their shave downs. They're posting their mustache as it grows. They're getting together with parties with their friends, right? Pre-COVID days. Yeah, right. Um, so... That's what you want, ideally, is you want to stop being the one that has to create a bunch of content and you want your advocates and your supporters to be doing that on your behalf. And that's when you've really created a movement of something in the industry. Wonderful. Dana, thank you again for all of your wisdom throughout this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing at Positive Equation? Yeah. Um, positiveequation.com is my website. Two E's for positive equation. So both in there. <laughs> right, got um, it. It's always tricky. Um, on social media, it's actually positive equation with one E. Okay. So you can find me on all channels there. And then I have an awesome mastermind called Missions to Movements that's launching in May. So I have like 12 guest coaches coming in. And this was really just inspired by my mastermind that yes. I'm in. Yes. So if you're a nonprofit leader and I have Charity Water, Vic Harrison's coming in. I have somebody from November. I have somebody from News Story. I have a Generation Z expert, 
Like I am bringing in the people <laughs> to make it happen. Really, That's awesome. Yeah. To create a really sustainable, um, fundraising strategy and path for you as we go into 2022. So that's just at positive backslash mastermind. Wonderful. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Uh, you and I are both fans of masterminds for sure. So I'm delighted to lift that up and know that so yes. many in the nonprofit world need that kind of community. And I'm delighted that you're going to provide it. So Dana, thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dana as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can not only guide your professional journey, but perhaps enhance your organization's digital strategy right now. Don't forget to check out the show notes. They are on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, and you can find out more about Dana and her very cool Missions to Moments Mastermind that begins this summer, as well as the third cohort of PMA's Leadership Mastermind as well. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.